Hey guys, thanks for joining us for our third episode of Sessions on Life with uh, Ubi Ntewo and Jonathan Betcher. Yep, uh, Josh is actually ill today. Like literally, we found that Josh was ill about two hours ago. And uh, Jonathan is a great friend of ours. He's actually a member of our board too. And um, I just called him and he was able to make things happen and actually be here. So Jonathan, thank you so much for showing up. But for real guys, please um, please be praying for Josh. Uh, we have no idea what it is. We don't think it's COVID, but you know, just keep, it in, uh, keep him in your prayers. So today we'll actually be exploring and uh, you know just discussing the power of scripture. If you guys remember um, our second episode, which uh, last week we actually um, explored the nature of scripture. So if you haven't seen that, go ahead and check it out. I think it's definitely going to bless you. And if it does, you know, subscribe to our channel, share, follow, and uh, what's the other one? Like, right? Yeah, Josh would be very, very proud of me. Subscribe, <laughs> share, follow, like, all that good stuff, right? But, um, we, you know, we just really want to be a blessing to the body of Christ and the community of faith. So um, that's, you know, that's why we're providing this resource. So we're going to jump right into it. Today, we are going to be discussing and exploring the power of Scripture. So, Jonathan, uh, you, you know, just when you hear that phrase, and, you know, especially in, um, in church, we hear that a lot. Like, the word is powerful, right? Right. Like, like what, what comes to mind for you? How, like, how does that hit you? Like when you hear the word is powerful. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in a church where that was a pretty heavy emphasis, like to talk about um, the name of Jesus as being right. powerful or the word as being powerful, all these different uh, things, which is certainly true and important to emphasize. But I think, um, you know, for me growing up, it always seemed a little bit vague, you know, yeah. that yeah. It, in what uh -huh. way is the word powerful? It almost felt like... Um, almost superstitious in a sense, the way that it was treated. And, um, and it wasn't until I got older and uh, began to read the Bible more for myself in a deeper way and study uh, that I began to realize like, oh, the power of Scripture is not just some mysterious, um, you know, magical right. power, you know, it's not, it's not like a book of magic words, um, but that there's actually a sort of a sort of a logic and a reason, reason to, yes, the, to the yes. to the way that the scripture has power and uh that there's a specificity to it yeah. as well that yeah. that the the word is powerful in specific ways for accomplishing specific things yeah so. I, you know i think when you talk about um you know how we you know growing up in a church tradition where where you know the idea or you know the idea of the word is power the the power of the word I, um, came across as magical or mystical, you know, I think of, you know, when, you know, certain people saying, I plead the blood of Jesus over a certain thing. Yes. Like, yeah. I plead the blood of Jesus over that. I'm like, is, you know, is, I'm like, is there scriptural precedent for this idea that when you're going through a specific experience or some kind of pain or something that you're supposed to plead the blood of, cause I'm like, that sounds like magic, right? Sure. Like I plead the blood of Jesus over it. And and I definitely would agree with you. I think there are a lot of traditions where the same, mm -hmm. this, you know, that same idea carries over to, hey, the power of the word, right? I'm not going to name any uh, traditions right now because I don't want to offend anyone. But, you know, well, you know, yeah, I'm not going to name any traditions today. Today, today, I wouldn't name any traditions. But yeah, so let's jump right into this. You know, so what I... Um, 
what I did was I just basically um, just you know just prayerfully um, picked out three scriptures that I think do, you know that just very simply lay out the idea and explain what it means when we say that God's word is alive, when we say that God's word is powerful, and um, the very first one is um, is a uh, Hebrews chapter four verse 12 through 13. And I'll go ahead and read it. Um, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Right. So, Jonathan, what, what do you think of that scripture, you know, within um, the context of speaking to scripture being powerful? Like, does, any, you know, does anything stand out to you in uh, Hebrews 12 through 13? Yeah, I mean, uh, my first reaction is that uh, the scripture as powerful it seems a little intimidating or scary when you read this yes. scripture. Yes. Um, and the book of Hebrews has several different warnings um, that come across this way. They make you a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, and I think that's intentional um, that it's, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable in a way that's supposed to um, drive us to be sober minded yeah. and, um, and, and to take seriously the the scriptures and the gospel yeah. and uh, in this particular instance, you know, right before that, verse eleven says, "Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience." Um, and I, I really like that scripture because it talks about entering into rest in order to not fall into disobedience. And often we think that we need to enter into striving and working harder to avoid disobedience. Um, but here it's actually telling us to, to enter into the rest that we have in Christ so that we don't fall into disobedience. Right. But then it, it, it brings those scriptures that you just read of the word of God, um, you know, being like this sharp sword that, that can rightly divide things. And, um, you know, it gives you this picture of there's, there's nothing hidden from God's yeah. sight. Um, and, and in the context of scripture, you know, I think that as we're thinking about the power of scripture in our own individual lives, um, it's the power of bringing to light the things in us um, that need to be submitted to Christ yeah. or, um, you know, potential areas even in our, in our heart um, that would lead us to disobedience or maybe uh, areas in our own heart where we're not entering into the rest that is available to us in Jesus and we're, we're trying to accomplish something yeah. on our own. And so, um, yeah, it's <laughs> that idea of everything being exposed uh, in us yeah. is is intimidating and makes us uncomfortable, um, but it's an important kind of discomfort because in that discomfort we begin to recognize that while we may think that we have things that are hidden uh, that no one can see and that that they can just remain untouched, yes. remain undealt with, yes. um, that the the actual truth of the matter is that in the word as we engage with God's word. Um, 
you know, a, a different scripture says that it's like a, like a mirror, uh, yeah. where we, we see, uh, ourselves reflected and yeah. that, um, a foolish person will look in the mirror and then immediately go and forget what he looks like. Um, but a wise person will look at the word and see those things, allow those things to be revealed. Um, and then, you know, to change them and prayerfully, yeah. you know, uh, uh, work toward seeing those things rectified in a way that's going to lead to rest and obedience yeah. in Jesus. So, I, I, you know, I love that you went to um, that. You know, before speaking on the scripture, you actually went to the verse prior, right? Because mm-hmm. that's actually something we'll be addressing in the next episode. Um, you know, engaging with scripture. What does it? And that and that's one of the principles of engaging with scripture, not cherry picking, but actually looking. Um, beyond the immediate scripture and looking at its environment to actually have a better understanding of what that scripture means. And I think that's essential for Hebrews um, 12 through 13 because the times, you know, majority of the times I've heard people actually quote that scripture, they quote it like it's a scripture, you know, like, oh man, this is a scripture that I hope in. This is a scripture that I'm excited about. Right. But the context, right, the environment that scripture um, is found in what the, the 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 author of Hebrews right in this environment, um, you know the scripture the verses before the verses following after, but especially before he's not um, giving us something to rejoice about. He's actually laying out a warning, right? Mm-hmm. He's actually saying, "Hey, you better make sure that you're striving, of course, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but you need to make sure you're striving to enter God's rest." Because if you don't, God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. God's word will reveal the true intent of your heart. If you're playing around, you're trying to fake, God's word will reveal it, mm-hmm. right? Um, this, you know, and I, you know, I, I love how you know you speak about, you know, the word laying bare those hidden intentions. I'm like, that's the very definition of power. Mm-hmm. Right. The, you know, I'm like, imagine, you know, I, you know, I think of, you know, uh, the U.S.'s military capability or technological capabilities to to see from, oh, my God, hundreds of miles. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, we have technology to where we can hear right through wall through walls and barriers. I'm like, we actually have that technology. I'm like, that's power, right? You you have countries who do not have that kind of technological ab- ability, right. right? And yet that is not one millionth, right, of the ability of God's word. Like literally you don't even need to speak mm-hmm. for God's word to know what your intentions are. And it actually just lays them bare before you. Um, you know, so I, I'm like that, you know, that speaks to um, to the power of God's word. God's word has the ability to discern, right? It reveals what's going on in my mind, what's going on in my heart. But not only that, it actually judges, right? It doesn't just show what, it doesn't just show me and actually show others, right, the thoughts and intentions of my heart. It also judges me in the sense that, you know, it doesn't just say, hey, Ubi, this is what you were thinking. It actually says, this is what you were thinking and it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is what it can cost you if you don't repent, right? I'm like, that's 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 really powerful. Yeah, you know? yeah. Another thing that comes to mind in this uh, scripture is um, the fact that the the word is 
sharper than any two-edged sword uh, makes me think that we ought to handle the word carefully because a two-edged sword is is dangerous it's very dangerous yeah. and um you know i i don't know if this is uh, this is not necessarily what this author what the author here i think is trying to emphasize with this but that image always sticks out to me and makes me think like um in in the way that the word does lay bare um the thoughts and intentions of our heart whenever we are um addressing one another yes. with the word yeah. using the word yeah. for um correction you know the word the the, the word yes. says that the scriptures are good for um rebuke and correction yeah. um that, that that's one of the ways that we are to handle the word right. but we ought to do that carefully and lovingly yeah. you know jesus uh compares it to dealing with a speck in yeah. your brother's eye. Yeah. He says, first, make sure that you've dealt with the timber in your own eye, but then go and tend to the speck in your yeah. brother's eye. That's um, an activity that needs to be done delicately. Yes. Um, yeah. Because your eyes are a delicate part of the body. Yeah. And, um, and if you're not careful and you're not doing it in love with the other person's well-being at the core of your intention, then you can do some damage. And... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking to think about the ways that God's word has been used, um, in a, in a careless way that has, that has caused damage. And so I think as Christians, that's another important aspect. Uh, whenever we think about the power of scripture, we have to recognize that that power has to be handled responsibly and carefully and and, very careful. And most of all, lovingly. That whenever we approach somebody uh, yes. with the with the word, um, that we have to do it carefully and lovingly, lovingly. and especially um, people who are tasked with teaching the word. Um, you know, the Bible makes it clear that that's not something that just anybody should do. Uh, that it's that it's a high standard, and and so I think anytime we're anytime we're handling the word in a way that's going to impact another person, we have to be very uh, sober-minded in our own intentions right. as we're yeah. handling and, and i would i would venture i would venture to say sober-minded and you may have i think you've said this already sober-minded to be careful not to cause, cause damage to that person mm-hmm. but also sober-minded enough to understand that the double-edged nature of the word right called hey be careful how you use this word to judge another person because mm you could be judging yourself because the other end is sharp too and and it's sharp too and it's not it's it's actually not be careful how you use this word to judge someone because you could be judging yourself it's be careful how you use this word to judge because you are judging yourself too Mm -hmm. right then and i think that you know that that applies to that whole idea when christ says hey you know before you remove the speck from his eye remove this huge log from yours right? right and i think you know again that speaks to hey the, the word is working um, mm. omnidirectionally. It's not just one way. You you don't get to determine right <laughs> what the word does. It's you know it's it's moving. It's alive. It's active. So no, I I love that. I love that. And I especially appreciate the fact that you say, hey, you know, it needs to be done in love. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Um, all right. So yeah, guys. So just remember, right when when you look at Hebrews. Uh, 4, 12 to, uh, to 13, you know, you, you really want to keep in mind that the power of the word, at least in this passage, primarily speaks to 
the ability of God's word to reveal hidden intentions and to judge, right, what's going on within ourselves and even, you know, others. Now, um, this is now, th- this next scripture is one that I, I've always just enjoyed reading, right? Um, not just not just the scripture, but the whole chapter, right? And it's um, it's John six sixty through sixty three. You want to read it? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> uh, and this is right after Jesus has talked about um, basically himself being the bread of life, right? Um, <laughs> which, which I couldn't. You can only imagine what it did to those people. Like yeah. seriously, right? Yeah, yeah. In somewhat graphic detail, and then uh, and then it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, "This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it?" But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So I'll tell you what, that is still a hard thing. So I'll just let you take first stab at it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- this is one of my favorite passages as well because it's the exact opposite of how we tend to um, strategize about our preaching, especially in the Western church. Um, because at the beginning of, of this passage, we find out that the number of people who were following Jesus had grown and grown and grown. So he has this, this massive yeah. following now. And so he's like, oh, now it's time to stand up and preach this really difficult, confusing, troublesome message um, instead of, instead of. And that's not what we do, right? It's not. It's what we, not. Do. we get a crowd. We want to keep the crowd. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and we want to think about, you know, what can I say that's going to really strike a chord with this crowd in a positive way. Um, and this was not Jesus's strategy in this moment, uh, at least. Um, and so he, he delivers this really difficult message, um, as he does a lot of different places. Um, and, and he often uses this phrase, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, this idea that there are certain people who are going to receive, his message and it's going to make sense to them because it's not through human intellect that they're going to process it, but that it's actually the spirit and the word kind of working in conjunction with one another, uh, which is just a really interesting dynamic to see throughout Jesus's ministry, but also um, in the epistles as it's kind of providing us guidance on how to engage God's word and how to understand it, that, that uh, the word should engage our intellect and and we are to you know the the bible even says to meditate on god's word um but that our own understanding isn't going to get us there all the way that there's this um you know working between the spirit and the word kind of working together in our lives um but yeah in you know in this passage he says it's the spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all the words that i've spoken to you are spirit and life um so so i guess in this passage as we're thinking about the power of the scripture yeah you know it is a life-giving power you know it's yes. a it's a yes. uh it's a it's a power that brings about um 
that brings about life. Um, and, and Jesus, you know, has just finished describing himself as the bread of life, yeah. you know, and, and this is in the book of John, which of course begins by calling Jesus the word, you know, speaking of Jesus, but, but calling him the word. And so, um, in the same way that there's this, um, almost collaborative work between the spirit and the word in the life of a believer, um, we can also think of the word as God, as he's revealed himself in scripture, but also God, as he's revealed himself in Jesus, Yes, you know, in the, in the incarnate person of Jesus. And so this idea of like Jesus being the bread of life, um, it's, it's that the way that God has revealed himself to us is in some analogous way, like bread. We, we take it in, we digest it and it gives us life, Amen. you know? And so, um, we are participating in that act of eating. Um, but by eating, we are not giving ourselves life, if that makes sense. So, you know, whenever I think about God's word, um, being powerful for, for giving you life, it's not going to do that while it's sitting, uh, on your nightstand unopened that you have to open it up. You have to, you know, bread isn't going to fill you up sitting on your shelf. Exactly. You've got to put it in your mouth, chew it up and swallow it. And it has to digest, you know? And so I think, you know, you have to read God's word for it to be life giving to you. Um, and not just read it on the surface in a really shallow way, but you have to take it in and let it sort of bear its weight on you. And, uh, you have to kind of digest it in a way. Yeah. And that takes some work, you know, it takes some effort and energy to do that. Um, discipline. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, the reason that you're not supposed to swim uh, right after you eat is because digesting food takes energy and you don't want to cramp up while while you're swimming. Um, So, you know, in the same way, digesting God's word in a way that is going to be life giving is going to require some energy and some effort. And I think that can be intimidating to a lot of Christians because there are some you know, sort of cultural barriers to unpacking what's in the scripture because it was written for, um, and uh, the original audience was uh, from a different time and a different culture. Yes. And so there's some work that you have to do in in doing that. But um, you don't want to be, in this passage, you don't want to be the disciple who walks away, away. Exactly. because yes. the message was troublesome. You want to be the disciple who who says, where else would I go? but here, because I know that life and truth are here in Jesus I in the way that, that he's, that. The, in the way that he's revealed that. himself. Um, so even though these things are hard to listen to, you know, the, the word being sharp, uh, I mean, that can be painful sometimes yeah. and that can, that can, uh, that can wound our ego and our pride and it can be painful to have those things laid bare. But you don't want to be the disciple who walks away. You want to be the disciple who remains with Jesus through the difficult uh, right. passages yeah. and and allows those things to kind of be digested and um, and then they will give you life. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think you know it calls to mind. Um, I think it's in a 
I think it's John four where Jesus meets the Sir Samaritan lady at the well. At the well, you mm -hmm. know, and after she leaves, you know, you know, the disciples are like, "Hey, you know, have you eaten or something like that?" And Jesus' response is, "My food is to do the will of God." You know, so yeah. like I I love that because I think sometimes we think that we're feeding that we're being energized by the word when we read it mm. when what jesus is actually saying is no the reading and the meditating of God, on god's word is simply the process of discovering mm. the will of god mm. that's that that's just you reading and meditating on god's word is just you finding the food mm. right um, but the eating and receiving the nourishment from the food actually occurs when you do it. Mm, that's right? really good. You know, it's it's actually it's not. You know, I'm like so. I'm like yes. You know, we you need to read with discipline. You need to be sober about how you approach the Word of God. But you actually receive nourishment, the true nourishing um, of your soul and your spirit and your mind occurs when you actually start to do mm. uh, to do the things that you have read. Right now, something I love about this passage is that Jesus says the words that I speak, right? That scripture is spirit, mm. right? He says the words that I speak, right? They are spirit and life, right? The words he says the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That's John six sixty three. And, you know, I think, you know, because in our very first episode, we had thrown out some teasers and we said, hey, you know, we live in, a, you know, you're probably in a church culture. You hear all the time where people say the word of God is alive. The word of God is alive. And, I'm, you know, and sometimes we think, well, what at least I used to think, what does that mean when you right. say God? I'm like. It's a book. I open it and I see words on paper. It's a book. What do you mean yeah. by the words of God? You know, the, the, that God's word is alive. And it really wasn't until I actually read John 6, 63, that it hit me like, yeah, it will be what you are seeing. Are, you know, what you are seeing is ink on paper. But the message, what it's saying is alive. It's actually spiritual. The, your ability to discern, like it... It reveals itself. It's the word of God and it's spirit. You know, I think it's, it's kind of like you said, you know, you don't come to understand it through any mental exercise of right. yours. It's literally the spirit of God helps you understand, gives you understanding of what God is saying, right? I mean, how many times have we opened the Bible and we are reading, and I think, you know, the the word we usually use is, man, dude, it came alive. Like, yeah. you know, it just, it, and I'm like, yeah, you know, that's that, I, you know, that's, that's that reality of these words are literally spirit. And, the, you know, and as God works, they, you know, they come alive and God's spirit gives you understanding. And then, and, and now you're responsible for actually living it out. And it's when you live it out that you experience, um, you know, that you experience the power of God in your life. But, you know, so, so the here in John 6, 60 through, uh, 60 through 63, what we see is that God gives the word of God, right, gives spiritual life, meaning it restores fellowship, right? That, I mean, that's what it means to, to have life, right? Jesus Christ says, Jesus says in John 17 that eternal life is to know God the Father and Jesus Christ who he sent, Right. So when 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 Jesus says here 
that it is the spirit that quickens, that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Jesus is saying this word or one way, you know, one of the powers of the word of God is that it restores you. It restores you into fellowship with God and gives you knowledge of who God the Father is, right? Only the living word of God does that, and, and, it, and it's spiritual, right? The, the spirit of God through the word actually brings us into fellowship with God and gives us understanding of who our Father is. Um, and that's, that's just that's powerful. I'm like, hey, you know, so if you want to know Right. If you've just come to Jesus, if you just if you just come to if you if you've just come to faith in Jesus, and you want to understand the experience, right, the blessed experience that you've come into, I'm like, yo, just park in Scripture. You know, think on it, and 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 you're gonna, you know, it's gonna come alive, and you're gonna learn about God. But not only that, the Word of God is actually gonna reveal yourself to you. Right. Going back to Hebrews four twelve through uh through thirteen again. Now, uh, moving on, uh, we'll take a look at First uh, Peter 1, 22 through 25. All right, um, I'll read it. It says, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like a flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Again, I'll let you have the first dibs. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I really like um, I really like this idea that where where he says so. So in Peter's first epistle, he's writing to um, as best we can tell yeah. a non-Jewish audience, and he's making this he's making a lot of connections between um, the Gentiles or the non-Jewish Christians and the family of Abraham which is, uh, you know, that's the world that Peter grew up in because he's Jewish and the family of Abraham was like their roots, you know? And so he's making this connection of like, um, you're not outsiders. You're not, um, you're not somehow like a second class Christian because you were not a Jew first and then a Christian. Um, you have been born again into this one new family that, God uh, has has created and how are you born into that family it's through the word of God and I love that uh, that last thing that you read where it says and this word is the good news that was preached to you yeah. I love that because I think oftentimes we make a distinction between the gospel yes. and the word of God yes that the gospel yes. is a is a piece of God's word, right? But that there's more to God's word, yeah. so that the, you know God's word is is the whole thing. So the gospel is and Matthew, then, Mark, Luke, and John, right? right? Think, and then and the that, other sixty-two books are something else. Yeah, the right. why, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. and I I think a lot of that 
confusion comes from the fact that we call those the gospels, yeah. uh, the the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark. Uh, but really, what we mean when we say that is that is uh, their account of. The gospel, the gospel of the good Amen. news. And yeah. so um, I love that scripture because I think it's important for us to recognize that the entire word of God is the good news, good news yeah. that the good news of scripture begins at the beginning at, in Genesis, in Genesis 1, 1. Yes. The, it is good news that there is a God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth yeah. and that that good news carries all throughout the narrative of scripture all the way to the last page, you yeah. know, where we see that that um, a voice from the throne declares the dwelling place of God is with mm-hmm. man yeah. and I'm making all things new. Yeah. That whole complex and beautiful story is the gospel. good news yeah. is the gospel and that it's through that gospel that we are adopted into God's family, yeah. that we are made sons and daughters of God. Um, and that it's that those things are all, um, they're all one in the same, you know, oftentimes we think of, um, eternal life and grace and forgiveness, um, as these sort of separate things that God, uh, through Jesus gives us as like external yeah. gifts, you know, as if, as if, if I were to give you a, a Christmas present or something like that, that that's the way in which God gives us these, um, gifts. But the reality is that we receive those things in Christ, yes. that it's, that it's through our union with Jesus himself that, we receive eternal life that we receive grace and forgiveness do you have no idea how ex- how excited i am that you're touching on this because seriously okay the first time i saw i read that and actually i was like hold on he's not saying that what we call the gospel is the gospel he's actually saying that the canon genesis to revelation is the gospel right right um I mean that 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 for me was it was a mind switch. It was a mind switch because so you know I I typically try every year to read through the Bible. Some years I'm extreme, you know, I'm successful. Some years it takes me three years to 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 finish that New Year resolution I started in two thousand and <laughs> two thousand and fifteen, right? But I keep tracking. But it it you know but you know because of this you know maybe just unconscious acceptance of hey, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John being referred to as the Gospels, I've always had this in my head that when I'm reading from Genesis to Malachi, right, that I'm reading God's dealings with his people, and I recognize that they were written for us so that we can learn from and draw closer to God and take him seriously and, you know, and have this healthy fear of him. But I never, I never thought of Genesis to Malachi as a part of the gospel, right? And then from Acts to Revelation, I didn't consider that as part of the gospel either, you know, especially with Paul. I was like, well, no, this is a theology of the gospel. You know, like Paul's now breaking down, you know, he's helping us understand the, the, the implications of the gospel and Peter's doing the same thing and Jude's kind of doing the same thing. You know, I'm like, no, but the gospels is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And when, you know, when I saw that, and I, I'm so happy that you're touching on it. When I saw that, I was like, this is really cool because it changes how I read Leviticus. Yeah. Right? It changes how I read the genealogies in Chronicles and Kings. It changes how I read the Old Testament because now I recognize, hey, Ubi, the minute you start from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, right? The minute you utter those words, you are actually starting the gospel, mm-hmm. right? And you don't end it till the very last word in Revelation, yeah. Right. So, so you know, so guys, here's here's what's really cool about this, right? I think a practical application of this is this makes the case for actually taking um, a Bible reading plan seriously, right? Because in, you know, in reading through the Bible, you're actually now, you, you actually now understand that you are reading the Gospels, mm-hmm. right? You're reading the whole good news and you're going to have a very difficult time appreciating the goodness of this news if you keep on if you keep on just holding to an incomplete or unfinished mm-hmm. version of it right so if you're a guy who like really likes genesis and you you can just read genesis but every other book in the bible's like oh, okay i'm just going to push through i'm like well guess what that's like you don't really have a complete grasp of the good news, right? So what I would encourage you to do, it's not too late, right? Um, I, I, I could not count the number of times I made a new, res- new resolution and then failed, so restarted again right. uh, in February or March or April or May, right? But I'd really encourage you guys to actually, you know, resolve to start reading scripture with the goal of reading it through because you want to actually have a complete understanding or complete appreciation of the gospel. Like the 66 books. You know how we say the 66 books equal the Bible, right? Actually, what Peter's saying is the 66 books equal the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, I, I think a helpful way to think of it is if you're picturing the Bible as one unified story, um, the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the actual story of Jesus's time on earth um, is kind of like the climax right. of the narrative. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, you know, you, you may have seen a narrative structure kind of drawn out on a chart and it usually starts kind of down on the bottom and then it rises up yeah. kind of a slope and then there's the climax and then it sort of descends down the other side, sort of just like a, right. like a hill or, a, you know, just a, 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 a graph essentially. And so the gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are kind of the top end of that, uh, of that like climax. They're the top yeah. of the hill. You know, it's, it's where the story of God, like really kind of, uh, you know, that that's the big yeah. moment. And this I, and this that, is where the main character shows up and, and shows and out. Yes, like absolutely. We've been hearing about him. I've been hearing about him, and then boom. Yes, and so he drops in the scene. Yes, yeah. and so whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you know you can kind of think of it as like. Genesis is like sort of the exposition and then there's this rising action and, and what that rising action is, is, um, you know, you have to look at the story with the proper main character. 
if you read the Old Testament and you keep putting people in the main character position, it's going to feel like a confusing compilation of stories that don't really have anything to do with each other. But if you see the Bible with God as the main character, meaning that the narrative is driven forward and centers around um, what does the main character want and what is he trying to do? Sounds like an Advent sermon I heard you preach sometime ago, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, and I so, but if you think about it that way, then all of a sudden, all of these stories fit into this rising action of God trying to create this wholeness in what he's created, trying to partner with human beings. And time and time again in the Old Testament, it's failure after failure after failure. And then finally, God himself steps onto the scene in the Gospels and does what no one else could do. And then the sort of descending storyline after that is like the effect of that, you know, just sort of ripple effect taking place until all of creation is affected by it. And so... um, But then we come to Revelation again, and this is where this main character shows up again in all yes. his glory. So it's almost, it's almost like it goes, it climaxes in the gospel, and then we go through the you know the, the effects and the consequences of his showing up, mm-hmm. and then he shows up again in Revelation, right. and this time he's showing up to stay. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. And so I, I, I say that all because I think you'll find this, the other parts of Scripture much more engaging if you see them through that lens, and you'll be able to make sense of where does this fit in the whole story. 100%. And it's agree. still going to yes. be... Uh, yes, it's still going to be challenging, you know, yeah. you're, especially in the Old Testament. You're going to encounter stories that are like, this doesn't make any sense to me yeah. because the original audience had a very different experience of the world than you do. So yeah. there's some work to be done there and you just have to stick with it and yeah. be willing to wrestle with difficult questions, maybe for a long time. Yeah. But um, if you keep wrestling, it, it, it is going to begin to all fit together in a really exciting way. Yeah. You know, I, you know, when, when you put it that way, you know, we see here, you know, I see there's this repeated theme in um in First Peter one twenty two through twenty five of the enduring ability of the word. Like you know, it says um what does let's see here it says um okay yeah uh, the very end of uh, twenty three because you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable seed mm. through the living and enduring word of God. And right. then he goes into this comparison, like all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever, right? And this word is the gospel. And I think when we actually understand that all scripture, the whole narrative of scripture, starting from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end, to, you know, to the very last word in Revelation is the gospel. We capture this quality of enduring, this mm-hmm. this enduring ability of the word despite every opposition, right? Because when you look at Genesis, you see the gospel start and you see the story, you see this narrative of, of forces coming against it, trying to prevent this good news that has just been birthed, right? This mm-hmm. this idea of, the, you know, this 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 hopeful news, right? That this force is already opposing it, but it keeps enduring. It yeah. endures through Genesis. It endures through, Je- to, uh, you know, through Exodus. It endures through the rebellious lifestyle of Judah and Israel through Kings and Chronicles. It endures through the prophets, right? It, I mean, like it continues to endure and then boom, Jesus shows up. Mm-hmm. And then he's killed, 
But the gospel continues to endure, right? This yeah. good news, this guy that has died, he rises again. Like, you know, like it's like it, the, you know, the word of God endures. It remains despite every single opposition. And I think that, you know, I, I think an, a practical application of that is when we look at the, any of the promises of God, any of the promises of God, it's like, I have to keep in mind that what God has said will endure. Even mm-hmm. when it looks like it's not going to endure, you know, am I struggling with sin? You know, are you, is there a sin you're struggling with? And you, you know, and you're starting to think, no, I can never, ever, ever overcome this particular thing. Right. And then you see promises in scripture, like the very same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead is the very same spirit that's alive in you. Right. That through the Holy spirit, you'll be empowered to put down the flesh. Like, you can be struggling with sin. I've struggled with sins in my life. I've I've been in seasons where I'm like, there's no way this can be true, mm. right? And then I come on the other side and I'm like, oh my God, even despite my unbelief, even despite my questioning, like God, are you really serious that you don't, that you wouldn't let me be tempted by anything I cannot overcome? Because right now I really don't believe I could ever overcome the sin. Then I come on the other end and I'm like, oh my goodness, God's word endured yeah despite despite the oppositions that i even raised god's <laughs> word endured right yeah. are, you know are, are there i mean are, what promises are you holding on to that are not cherry picked that are true in scripture what are you believing god for that is clearly in scripture and has clearly been given to you by god so that you might partake in his divine nature right no matter what it looks like even now the, one of the qualities, one of the powers of God's word is that it endures. You can rest assured that God's word will endure. And if you hold on to that word, you will come through with the word. Because that, that's its power. It mm-hmm. remains. It's true. Despite everything contrary, it remains. I mean, I, I, it's, you know... I'm fired up. It's just so good. God, you know, God's, it's beautiful. It's powerful. Right. And, and, you know, the idea that God would humble himself and give that to us, Mm -hmm. right. And give that to us and then call us sons. um, It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And man, to God be the glory, just good stuff. God is so faithful. You know, I'm done. It's, I'm, I think that's a great place to end. I think that's yeah. a great place to end, right? Yeah. Hey guys, um, like I said earlier, just just um, just so Josh actually tells me I did a good job, I'm gonna say thank you um, for hanging with us, for being with us again. Please, if this has blessed you, seriously, not we're not interested in the numbers. We're not. We're really not interested in popularity. But we really sincerely believe that God has called us to do this to empower you to empower your brothers and sisters who are Christians. So please, you know, subscribe, Josh, like, uh, share. And I feel like I'm missing one. Whatever it is, you guys know better than I do. Tell people but, uh, about it in person. Hey, man. Hey, seriously, guys. Leave thanks. somebody a voicemail about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hey, seriously, thanks for joining us again. Really looking forward to seeing you guys, um, to being with you guys next week. And just remember, um, new, we are basically on just about every major 
podcast streaming platform. We're also available on YouTube. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter. Um, seriously, you know, hang with us. Um, pray for us. Uh, thank you so much. God bless you.